0: Hi, uh, welcome to Expert Talks at Maveris. This is the interview series with thought leaders in the AI analytics and transformation space. My name is Mahadevan Maha for short. I'm your host for today. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Maveris, which is a managed marketplace for on-demand analytics and business transformation services. Our guest for today is Matangi Shri Ramachandran. Matangi mm-hmm. is the chief data officer at UB. Prior to UB, Maatanki led data science functions at GoCheck or the GoFood part of GoCheck. She also led data science at PhonePay. Uh, she's had a stellar career spanning nearly two decades uh, in data sciences across multiple organizations. Uh, she holds more than 100 plus patents. She's the author of two books. She's also recognized among the top 50 influential AI leaders in India. So, Matangi, thank you so much for making time to talk to us at Expert Talks at Maverice. I'm looking forward to the conversation.
1: Thanks a lot, Maha. It's uh, you know, I think it's going to be a great conversation. Thanks. Uh, they, uh, you know, We'll talk further on
0: okay excellent so my first uh, thing is you know you, you uh, obviously you started off with 24 by or you worked in 24 by 7 for almost eight years which is a services organization helping clients uh, you work with city bank one one of the largest mnc banks uh, right and then uh, phone pay in the you know the digital wallet and financial services app platform business uh, gofood which you, like you said is a swiggy equivalent in the uh, you know on demand consumer services platform uh and now with uh, you know ub uh, which is essentially as i understand one of the largest uh, you know corporate debt platforms uh, you know enabling financial uh, services across uh, you know lenders borrowers and investors right um so, what I wanted to understand uh, from you is two things. One is if you can give us a little more sense of what UB is for some of our listeners to understand a little better. Uh, and then, you know, uh, while this is a lot of it is in the financial services part, but they are they, uh, you know, they span the service, consumer side of it, uh, the enterprise side of it. You have also been in the services space with uh, GoCheck and GoFood. Uh, so, how do you go about? And also listen to one of your. Uh, Uh, you know, interviews, and I think I read a blog where you spoke about the importance of context uh, for a data scientist to be, you know, really be successful and create impact, right? So given this type of uh, companies and organizations that you have worked for, uh, right, uh, what are some of your approaches uh, to building domain knowledge and, you know, contextual awareness for yourself and also for your team?
1: Sure, thanks, So I'll answer the first question and address what is UB. Um, UB is a financial lending infrastructure that we are building for the country. Uh, We have on one side, you could uh, think this as a marketplace where there are enterprise borrowers and then there are uh, lenders. But how do you make um, these matchmakings uh, better uh, for better financial transaction and hence uh, improve overall efficiency of this process? On the other uh, side, we also are a collection platform. Uh, We uh, kind of uh, help uh, banks uh, do collections that are uh, not only efficient, but also have a a high uh, customer experience uh, component to it. So we do the end to end uh, journey of a loan loan origination till it gets collected back. But we are the infrastructure um, for this. So that's. That's what UB is. And at UB, data plays you a know, front and uh, center to all of the data driven, uh, all of the decision making. And most of the decisions are uh, data driven. And by doing that, we are helping our uh, customers uh, to have more transparent uh, decision making at one point and making it extremely data driven. So they can also see what are the results, what are the estimates of uh, taking path A versus path B uh, through data. And we believe over through this process, there will be better financial inclusion in the country, Um, making money reach the right pools uh, of uh, uh, needs at the right price points. also. So that's the overall um, picture of UB. Now I'll shift gears and come to your question on context and what is the role context uh, plays in uh, data science. So this has been my um, experience in, uh, in working in this field. So I started out as an analyst and then was very uh, statistically oriented, uh, building models which are uh, uh, deep statistical models, but also could had high explainability. From there, moved to field of computer science, uh, which I kind of learned it on the job, uh, building natural language processing models to start with, democratizing natural language processing so that. Those tools can be used by um, somebody in call center also. So not only did we um, build some of these models, but also build products out of it uh, to pockets, which can leverage it on their own. That has been my core theme of uh, career also. One is to create impacts. Second is how do we make self-serve engines that can uh, reach uh, pockets and increase the scale of usage, right? So coming back uh, on both these aspects context is extremely important. Um, so without context, they are just algorithms and numbers and libraries and codes, which may or may not solve a problem. Right? So on, and for a long time, uh, the industry, I think, made uh, made a mistake, was that we were going behind people who were experts in, let's say, a certain set of algorithms who understand the math very well. But they were not able to convert that mathematical uh, problem or match the mathematical problem to a business context So, context was somewhere. Application was somewhere huge gap uh, and uh, even on problems like. Text mining, etc, right? So uh, there was the I take an example from my uh, life experience, right? Uh, So there was a problem where we had to find out what are some of the Topics that customers talk when they talk to a call center, right? When they talk uh, to a chat center, for example. So you have millions of chat corpus. What are top things that the customers are discussing about? Now, the way the word topics get formed, that immediately there are topic models and you know clusters, etc., uh, that happen. And uh, these are large lines of chat data so they could be 25 30 lines of uh, chat data on an average and it's a conversation so it's agent customer agent customer kind of uh, format from here to mine what was it uh, about you need to kind of do some level of uh, data understanding some level of understanding what the business is about context is about then kind of zero down on the area of interest Uh, Then, uh, you know, get into text mining techniques, right? So that's that's how this should have ideally worked. But uh, a lot of people were trying this very differently. They were taking the entire chat corpus, throwing it into a clustering algorithm or throwing this into a topic modeling algorithm and trying to get some solutions which wasn't answering a business purpose, right? So even things like this, when I say this even to me, it sounds very obvious like why would Somebody take the entire data corpus and throw it in a machine, but this was happening. And even now, uh, data scientists do make these, uh, mistakes of not waiting enough for the problem to be formed, not going with the uh, person who has the problem and understand from them what is the problem before starting to build anything, right? Crux of this is, uh, crux of what we face largely and why um, AI is considered a black box, why a lot of people still don't build AI teams in their organization is because of they don't know, right, whether this will have an impact or not. And more often than not, the impact doesn't come. So for various reasons, etc. And one of the core reasons I feel is also squarely risk with the data science teams where people don't sit enough on the business problem, understand where the issue is. Then try to solve something rather than solving it like a, what I would call a hackathon. So it's very important to understand context and that makes a, a large difference. Of course, algorithms are important. The math is important. Writing codes that can run faster are important. Deploying your models are important, but all of that can be important only if the solution of the problem is right and that's where, especially for the first time problem. 60 to 70% of that entire effort has to be context has to be, uh, you know, so to say interviews with uh, the stakeholders, interviews with the person who's having the actual problem and then solve it for in cases where you really cannot, if it's an end consumer, you you don't have access. Again, there are mechanisms to understand what is needed before you, uh, you know, solve, so start solving the problem and you develop this over a period of time, You develop this through experiences by solving variety of problems you develop this by working across multiple organizations being empathetic to the end user while solving a problem is extremely important and that shows up in the solution
0: no absolutely very well put i think empathy for the end user empathy for the business empathy for the consumer is almost like you said the start point for a data scientist to be able to really you know Talk to the business, understand more about their problem. Um, it, it actually helps. Sometimes I feel the best hypothesis actually comes from the business, where you know business users are able to help articulate the hypothesis around which you want to really you know really validate your solutions or take the first few input factors, for, so to say. Right. And yeah. in my experience, I've also had situations where we have looked at hypothesis and also looked at solutions. And many cases, the solution had inputs where the factors were not controllable. Uh, right. Um, and so, what do you do with those? The business would say, okay, this is great, but you know, I don't control this, uh, right? Um, for uh, you know, for example, if you're a retail, you know, the type of uh, uh, you know the family makeup, life stage of the customer that is coming in over a period of time, you can control. But on the immediate level, if it's a family coming in, if they have two girls or two boys or one boy, one girl, the business doesn't control it, right? So when you say if you had this profile of customers walking in. Uh, it's Perfect. great to say, but you don't control them. Mm-hmm. Then the business yeah. is okay. This is theoretical, right. but I don't know when I will practically implement it. Type of stuff.
1: Right, right.
0: Uh, great. So you made another uh, interesting point about uh, you know when we are talking of your experience, which is about democratizing usage. Right. So which essentially means like building the platform not only to solve a problem, but enabling the business end users to also take self-help through, I'm assuming you build low-code platforms or no-code platforms for uh, them to do it, right? And, and a large portion of that is also about understanding the UI and UX around it broadly. Uh, I don't want to make it too theoretical, but uh, the business or the user has to have a comfort about using it, right? Um, how much of effort do you think, uh, you know, typically a data science team should spend on that particular part of it? No, you spoke of the context part of it. Now the delivery part of it is where you needed to be a lot more usable, for lack of a better word. Uh, so how do you go about that?
1: I think see, finally, data is an asset of the organization.
0: Right?
1: Hmm. The data does not belong to a team. Data is not a team; it's an asset. Hmm. So today, anything in data, people think, okay, data team will solve it. Right? It's not that data. Hmm. If data uh, is gets restricted to only the uh, data team, then the democratization and uh, large scale decision making does not happen. Hmm. So, I think uh, however the team starts, and depending on the life cycle of wherever the team is, the angle that this team should take is they start owning a lot of infrastructure components about it and build an application layer uh, with UX, UI, depending on how friendly the users are with technology. You build an application layer and you democratize these components so that each on their own, right? So then you don't get preachy with your analysis and actions and everything. See, it's not happening otherwise, right? So I can have an analysis. I can put up action items. I can be more an internal consultant team uh, to other parts, but they have their own speed of working. They understand the markets very differently. From what you understand, their slice and dices are very different. Uh, from what you would do, how everyone visualizes data, how they perceive certain things are very judgmental, right? And you can't take that out of a function. Right? You Can't say we will uh, understand all the hypotheses, put them in one barrel and then give you dashboards and reports. For example, that's not going to work because those hypotheses are themselves going to change and there are going to be multiple business users. Each of them will have their own variety and cut to look at data. So in which case, how do you democratize this? How do you make sure that I become an infrastructure for you and I own my I am accountable so that you can make decisions at scale and I will know I will kind of distance myself more and more away from what your exact decision is, but I will become more accountable so that you can make those decisions. Uh, much faster and more data driven than you would have made it. That would be a scalable approach now that I gave you an example in. So again, let me classify decisions into two parts, right? One is. Human led machine assisted, right? That data assisted. The other part would be data led human governed. So I'm talking about the first part when I'm largely talking about democratization, which is. Uh, Human led data assistant, so then data plays an assistance role. Enable infrastructure, but make sure that default people come to it right default. People come to those systems to um, churn out the decisions. Uh, so the example I talked about, uh, we deployed this in uh, uh, one, uh, you know in in 247. with the call center uh, folks where they were uh, able to use our products. On natural language processing. They were able to feed the data, get insights, build their own models, take their own decisions. So it's an end to end platform of text mining, kind of a modeling workbench. That got, uh, you know, to them, it gives them a lot of control, gives them some bit of learning also, but largely decouples the dependency on a central team. Hmm. Uh, And you're not, again, sprouting data scientists in each of the teams. So that's not the setup I'm recommending. I'm saying, Build an infrastructure such that your end users who are day to day making decisions have a decision assist from your platform. That's one. The other part of the story is possibly falls a lot within the data team is the machine led and human governed. right? And there the human governance piece, again, cannot come only from folks within the data organization, right? That the governance of how that solution looks. Like what are the guardrails? What is the North Star? What are the experiments you are going to set up? How do you replace a legacy decisioning engine with an expert a machine learned uh, uh, decisioning engine? All of these are discussions that you need to have. The governance of the solution, right? Be it about uh, AB tests or be it about what are you measuring? What are your core metric? What's your baseline metric? What's your constraint metric, etc is a discussion is a collaboration so to say between data and the um, stakeholders on this right? that's how you build uh, the machine led human governed uh, systems so and in, in in definitely in the first part building platforms self-serve platforms becomes very important again that did not be only for internal users we are also building for example uh, in UB, uh, we built, uh, our data platform is called as UBIT. Uh, and one of the things that we are offering, especially when it comes to enterprise risk management, scores, et etc. We are coming with a solution where we'll give them as a workbench to the end users, to the customers, to the b- analysts in the bank. And then they can, um, you know, add to the existing model. They can have control on the model parameters. They can build their own models, right? But the, again, the infrastructure is very algorithmic. is intelligence is intense um, to that domain. So that's where we come in. I think that's the, that angle would work to scale so much more better than the keys to the kingdom always being with the with the analysts in which sense even new staff. So even if you double E, triple it, 10 times staff, data driven decisioning will not be truly achieved. And people within the data will not see a career path because see, they're just. Uh, You know, throwing out some analysis in some consultation mode, which is not where they are driving the impact. So I think that that could be the future um, on self-service on taking uh, data to be used and well adopted across the organization within and outside.
0: So oh, nicely put. So one of the questions I wanted to ask in the way you answered that is, you know, uh, how does the an analytics organization balance between quick turnaround analytics, which is actually trying to solve the immediacy of business problem, uh, and you know, typically strategic breakthrough models or initiatives, which is a little more long-term focused, right? Uh, I don't know if I'm trying to oversimplify this, but my own uh, you know the way I'm seeing it in my mind is anything which is uh, you know human led and machine assisted, where you're giving self-serve models is where business can actually have data access to it in an intelligent and usable format and take their own decisions to respond quickly to business exigencies and immediacies, right? Whereas the one which is essentially machine led and human governed is where you're actually building a lot more of you know breakthrough models more strategic, slightly long term. And in both cases, like you're saying, at the end of it, one in terms of usability, other in terms of governance, uh, you're essentially giving the keys to the kingdoms, as you said, to the business users and letting it actually, you know, make AI and the analytics team a lot more business relevant. Uh, Have I understood it right? Correct,
1: you have understood it
0: right. Okay, excellent. Okay. Now, um, So obviously, you know, we will talk of what it takes to have a great data science team and create impact. But before that, I want to ask about what are some of the organizational ecosystem enablers, uh, you know, which are important. So you worked across various organizations, right? Assuming for a minute the data science capability and understanding was at the same level, right? I still feel, uh, you know, a data science team makes different level of impact depending on the organizations which it is housed, right? Uh, So just your thoughts on, you know, how do ecosystem enablers like, for example, organizational culture, maybe data maturity, uh, leadership focus, the business itself, uh, right? In terms of, uh, you know, what is the, uh, like like retail you have to almost it's a daily job literally right in grocery it is even more higher than I mean, fashion variable a little more right? or B2B businesses where maybe the business cycle and the frequency can be a little you know so uh, there is a level of uh, time available for a business to respond in some cases the response has to be very fast some it has to be it can have a little more time so you know various business parameters are there about the ecosystem enablers, right so your own uh, feel about uh, you know uh, what are some of those organization enablers which are, uh, which which almost drive the success of a um, data science function?
1: Yeah, so one of the things that I have addressed in many of my talks is that um, for data science to work uh, and create an impact, three things are needed. One uh, is the data, right? You have to have quantum of data to make sciences out of it. Otherwise, if it's a uh, you know small data largely you can make it through rules and expert systems second is the problems there should be problems that kind of as an optimization constraint it's a constraint the problems have to be there right? so if i have for example if i have a 1 crore budget right and uh, I, that means i have to give like some 10% off to all my customers let's say 1000 customers and if i give 10% off it will anyway cover based on historic data the 1 crore budget I don't need to pick any customer right? I can exhaust my budget. So there has to be meaningful constraints that data science can solve. That's number two. Number three and the most important thing also is organization culture, right? And what does this organization uh, culture comprise of? It comprises of a nature to experiment, right? First and foremost. We need to they need to have a paradigm to move away from deterministic outputs to a probabilistic output. So that has to be well understood, well accepted because any solution somebody is taking a call to put it out there Right? somebody is signing up on the risk. So the culture of experimentation has to be there from of course, any culture flows from the top. So the culture of experimentation starts with the founder or the CEO and then kind of percolates to their next leadership and next leadership and so on. Um, that's. That's one uh, one big thing, right? The culture to accept that follows in a way, the culture to accept failures is also very, very important, right? So I often tell my team that if we run 100 projects and if we do, if, if all the 100 projects or 95 projects of them succeed, then we have not done one thing well. we have not kind of experimented enough. We have not taken larger bits. We are taking smaller bits We are making incremental changes, and to make incremental changes, we may or may not even be required. Right? So there's a reason why a uh, data team becomes a strategic uh, importance uh, to the company, and that it is to make non-linear impacts. Data team sits and makes linear impacts, right? So that that is a, that kind of on the outset, there can be reasons to it, but there, at the outset, it looks something to probe further. So if out of 100 projects 95 succeed, there's something really, really problematic about it. Either you're not taking enough bits uh, or you're uh, kind of doing some linear improvements. So that's that's number two. So uh, following experimentation, an important thing is uh, the ability to uh, kind of fail, right? And uh, and kind of take the failure and accept failure as a way of functioning. Failure as the means to move to the uh, next step. That's important for the for the organization. The third thing is also about um, you know moving away somewhere moving away from an expert systems kind of mindset, right? Like I know it all. Um, to I want to see what what it is saying. I'm willing to be proven wrong with data. Right? I would call it that way. That is also very very important. And again, this cannot be only with the ceo or founder but has to be with the ceo and founder but also with all the business teams also with the product teams where they are humble enough to be proven wrong and op- and expecting it to be proven wrong with uh data, data. those are when could define uh the culture of a data-driven organization now if this is there right this is all we need we don't need people who understand ai people who have kind of uh, uh, learned some courses on AI, or uh, people have worked with uh, data science team in the past. Even that may not be needed. If these three things are there, then then it becomes the data leader's heart and soul responsibility to make sure that uh, you know data driven decisions thrive there. Right. So, but if these three are not there, it's going to be very difficult for anyone to come in and make a difference because these are very behavioral, and cultural aspects of an organization.
0: But if these three are there,
1: then they could um, kind of uh, get there and, and start things from scratch. Even if nothing on data is there, they can build a castle. in I'll repeat those three things. One is the ability to experiment, ability to fail, ability to be proven wrong.
0: Oh, excellently put. Uh, does this change with the life stage of a company or Citibank, which is, uh, I don't know, 100-year-old organization, possibly uh, a phone pay uh, a startup, Maybe a go check a young company for lack of a better word. You be a you know new age disruptor, right? Different uh, different life stages of the organization, right? Uh, and you have worked across, uh, you know, some of them very early, some of them a little more established, some of them you know, like a hundred year old company. Does does life stage have anything? To do do you feel that in a young company the you know the uh, these these ecosystem enablers you spoke about its ability to experiment, fail, and get proven wrong is far higher than an established company uh, or vice versa? Any, any any thoughts on that? Or you think its it doesn't matter?
1: I uh, see one, I have chosen companies only when these three things are right. right? Okay.
0: So,
1: okay. Uh, okay. It's also how I select organizations to work with. Okay. okay. Uh, having said that, while kind of speaking to different organizations in different forums and things like that? Uh, and also talking to network friends and, um, leadership in these different organizations. I am not able to predict a pattern here in terms of years of the companies to a data driven culture, right? I think the culture does come from the top right on, on this particular thing. I always think this culture comes from the top sustained by the, uh, sustained by the people at the bottom, right? That's that's yeah. how it is. Once you set the culture. And you stand for it, then the culture becomes so pronounced uh, with uh, you know the large amount of people in the organization. Then even if the founder makes a cul- culture shift, the people at the bottom are able to f- form an opinion that you are not following the culture, mm. and then various things can happen. But setting the ball rolling um, starts from the uh, starts from the top, uh, and, and hence there can be large organizations. I've heard mm. of them where they are not they are very deterministic risk averse organizations right now and uh, they have a certain way of executing they will use data definitely because i don't think there is any organization today at a certain level of uh, performance and profitability can afford not to have data in their kitty but what is the strategic importance of data makes a difference now that you can have large uh, organizations which also uh, the markets are celebrating may not have uh, a strategic view of data. They may still use data. They may use a lot of data assist. They may use data in tactical ways, uh, etc. But may not be their primary driver of growth. I am talking about primary driver of growth where it will make that uh, difference is when the those three traits does apply to the founder, founding team, you know, their top management and so on. So
0: what? But- yeah got it now you again you use the word deterministic and probabilistic right so uh, again my understanding is when you're saying deterministic uh, you're essentially saying typically deterministic is taken where it is a little more risk averse and people know that you're operating within guardrail and things can may not go wrong you know if you operate within that whereas probabilistic is where you're saying that you know you're giving a, a large canvas for them to take bets right and possibly strategic non nonlinear impact can happen because of uh, you know problem the input that is being given. And like you said, that requires a culture of both experimentation and ability, not only for the data science time for the business also to take failures. Right. Is that how you look at it?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's how I look at it. See, uh, when I meant uh, deterministic, some people want to feel the output, right? Like feel why the output is there. They want to understand. Why certain thing happened at every minute level, right? mm. uh, So one, is the output itself, hence they resort to deterministic. Right? In probabilistic output, the explainability may also be very limited. Mm. In deterministic output, you are only determining the output, so there's nothing to explain, right? Mm. So, mm. for example, uh, let's say I'm running a restaurant, and uh, every time it rains, I'm going to give it 20% off, right? Mm. So that will buy my pakoras. So let's say this is a very simple hey, example. Mm. No, so, what is non-explainable in it? Every time it rains, and we 20% off. The question comes: Why 20% off? Do you think giving 20% off will make people buy more pakoras? Or you're giving 20% off to people who would have anyway bought your pakoras, right? Yeah. Um, and um, after the rain, does it even make a difference? Or if you predict before the rain it's going to rain and start giving the pakodas so that they get into the mindset of, uh, you know, planning their evening snack? Now, there lies the difference a data science can make. Now, to accept this hypothesis and to say, okay, I'm going to try this out is the mindset I'm talking about. But while doing it, you don't know this. One, there's an unknown science coming in. One, the question is, you know, how does it matter to me uh, as I have some, uh, you know, budget to uh, burn for the pakodas, So I'm okay with that. So if these are the things you keep reasoning yourself, you are still in a mode in which you want to control the complete output at the cost of even growth, for example, or at the cost of
0: profitability, um, for.
1: profitability also. That is what I'm meaning, mean, uh, mainly meaning as deterministic outputs.
0: No, this is clear. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. Now, uh, you know, so one of the, uh, my own learnings has been while we had, you know, both in Landmark and in Tesco, we had humongous amount of, internal data or first-party data for lack of a better word, right? Consumer data, buying patterns, and all that type of stuff, right? Um, but as we started, uh, you know, as we started getting more and more closer to the business to start creating value, right? one of the realizations was all this internal data is good. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you're not able to apply an external perspective onto that, it, mm-hmm. is, it is just about that, right? And I, I, I again, uh, in one of your YouTube videos, I think you spoke of alternate data sources. and my understanding you mean secondary data sources, right which is what is out there in the in the universe, in the market, whatever on the internet and then you know or other sources and then how do you bring it in right? Um, so if you could just expand a little more on the importance of alternate data for a data scientist to really be able to contextualize the problem a lot better and sure. you know some examples of such sources of data.
1: Sure, so alternate data sources today are largely used in scores. So when moment people think alternate data, they think also structured data that playing a role about, you know, extra signals about the customer, which is not which is not kind of coming in the core DB. And you can use that to make decisioning better. We do have a platform for that. But that aside, um, using alternate data has been one of the uh, kind of path breakers in text mining problems. I'll give you an example again. Uh, when we were trying to bo- uh, you know, work on named entity recognitions, let's say we want to say we wanted. We had this problem. We wanted to match Samsung refrigerator 20 liters uh, to uh, Samsung refrigerator as a category, right like something like that now. Or Samsung 20 liter uh, with freezer or some description is given and you want to match it to. The category of uh, Sam- Samsung refrigerators. One way is just to use the words, whatever is there, and then do a similarity match. Um, next step uh, itself is semantic uh, similarity, right? Um, Samsung is associated with X things. The word, uh, uh, let's say, Samsung 20 liter with freezer, freezer is associated with so many things. Similarly, on the other side, you do expansion. Uh, the category refrigerator is associated with so many things. Now you do matches. Right? So this in this step itself, you are bringing external data in, in it because that's how you're expanding. The next level of it is kind of go to the internet and see what search results you're getting for your Samsung 20-liter freezer. And you see what search results you're getting for Samsung refrigerator. As, as results and then you do results to results similarity right so you have now kind of brought in, so to say alternate data in it and this uh, was this has been practiced and this kind of uh, paradigms really makes a huge difference in language processing and even in problems like uh, name entity recognition where you are matching you don't stick to words you first you stick to words and see then you stick to semantic meanings of this and see mm-hmm. Um, I went to one ice cream shop and I went to uh, buy something right are similar in a space because both are about shopping correct. Now that is meaning wise similarity and then the next level is about getting more context into each of the words, just expanding the query term as they call it, query expansion in both sides and then matching it. This became a big factor and uh, a lot of name and recognitions where. Not just restricted to just the names or the words in it, but uh, you know, ended up expanding the universe for matching. And NER still continues to be a problem today because um, named entities can absolutely depend on a localized context. Right. So India as an in NER may be easily classifiable as a country, but let us say um, some local college. Right. Let's say. Sarojini College of uh, Engineering and Technology is very local to that space right now. How do you classify this as a institute? Um, you know, other than using the words College of Engineering and, and Technology, those kind of questions come in and uh, I think language processing kind of started using alternate data quote unquote uh, for its mechanism long back and then they translated into transfer learnings that translated into language models and you know what you are seeing with the uh, chat GPT and everything. That's actually bringing the context outside to inside. That's how those models are. Um, Language models in themselves are nothing but world context. World context about a word, world context about a sentence, then you apply your world context on the set of local context you have, and then there you go. You have a very powerful algorithm at play. Um, Very, very effectively used uh, in language. Uh, for a large extent uh, definitely used in vision now uh, big time Uh, and structured data is kind of getting into that uh, space. This uh, I'll I'll give you another examples uh, example that I keep living with. That's why I'm very passionate about this topic alone. Mm -hmm. So in structured data um, there is both your numerical values like rainfall, what is the centimeter, etc and all of that. Then there are categorical values. So city is a categorical value. And very classic way of handling city is you bucket city into metros, non metros, tier one, tier two, tier three, very. Uh, that's also if you see getting context there, right? But there can be unusual way of doing it. What we can do is you take city can go to Wikipedia, get population of the city and all of that, and scrape that and expand that city into 10 numerical parameters and then train your model on it so that is also using alternate data into it right or name um, you know I, again i'm very passionate about the variable name and what it can provide insights right name can provide information about geography of the person uh, could uh, provide uh, information in some cases about the language of the person because we take surname If you go to Middle East and where this cosmopolitan population, um, then it can provide ethnicity of the person. How do you match name to an ethnicity um, is also uh, something very interesting. Of course, all of this under the guidelines of AI and ethics, ethics in AI, etc. But I'm just saying from a technical perspective, alternate data does not only need to mean um, a source of social signals about the customer outside. It could also mean publicly available information about certain subcategories of information that is their instruction data also.
0: Very nice. Very nice and very nicely explained for many people like me. It is numeric data about when you do scoring for a consumer, right? You look at a, a few things in terms of data availability about that particular person right and maybe like you said you don't go beyond expanding it into the on the name from the location that they operate uh, sometimes in terms of when we uh, well we talk of a lot of these social media mentions and triggers and likes and all that have you ever used this in terms of uh, people responding on social media their comments and all that and and to get a lot more of external perspective about a consumer or a business or whatever
1: we, we have done many projects as the uh, Twitter mentions of, uh, uh, you know, about a company, uh, the pro- profile of this. Um, now at uh, uh, UB, we have public data available about a lot of corporates. So we are building our products where companies can make credit decisioning out of the information that's there in public data. We are going to the level of the videos uh, of uh, the companies. Uh, you know the analyst views of the companies, what they are saying, what are the body languages tons of Q that can be um, you know crafted uh, with the information that is available publicly outside the company. So you're not compromising anything to make to make recommendations about the company, to make a matchmaking for that company with an investor, or to kind of say, uh, yes or no kind of decision.
0: Nice. So now, uh, you know. Uh, so one of the, uh, you know, the great things about uh, AI and the ability to process data from multiple sources, structured, unstructured, etc., uh, is obviously, you know, the more you train data, the more number of, you know, features you put into it and fine tune them, the level of prediction accuracy tends to increase, right? Um, but the, the flip side of that is essentially like with addition decision tree, your explainability can be high, your level of accuracy could be low. Uh, with a deep learning model your accuracy could be high but there are struggles about how you do explainability right and you know the world is moving where it wants uh, both right you know, one wants to have the cake and eat it too right i want uh, business wants uh, you know decisions with a lot of uh, confidence level you know, high level of predictability and the decision being right equally uh, you know the the environment warrants that there needs to be a level of explainability so that the end user can understand the reason behind the decision. Why did you give me a loan and not give me a loan type of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, where, I mean, obviously, there are explainable AI is being talken, uh, you know, spoken about a lot more. Uh, but in any, any practical examples of this? Or, or is there a balance where you think some places it needs to be applied, some places it is not relevant? Uh, how, how do you...
1: See explainability has to be there, but with some level of pinch of salt right now. Let I'm I'm for some reason I'm going to the rainfall example again. So let's say we are uh, predicting. The is it going to rain today in Bangalore, right now you are interested in the prediction accuracy. You want to know whether it's going to rain so that you have prepared yourself. Now how much can you what? Even if I put a linear model out, the people have see. I think somewhere the trade off is between explainability and convenience, right? So if I put a linear model, I can understand the weights on humidity weights on uh, you know yesterday's uh, rainfall or not or weights on wind speed and things like that, right? And then it becomes, uh, let's say I I know sciences of uh, weather very well, then I can uh, kind of relate to this and say this is correct or this is not correct. That is one type of explainability right now. If you look at causation now, can even with those weights, can you see when the wind speed increases? uh, The probability of rain is low or high or anything. Now when it comes to that point of causation, let me take a better example to explain causation, right? So uh, sales are going up and the sales are going up for various reasons. It's a festival season. Um, Suddenly the economy has boomed back um, or the product price had gone down. One competitor has got. Uh, shut down. Uh, government has bring up some policy which favors this product, etc. Now, all of these, even in a linear model, you can give a lot of weights to it. But can you exactly say what cost, what is that exact thing that caused the sales to high or low? It becomes at that point a very philosophical question. Correct. Causation for anything is so hard to explain. They don't even do it in medical sciences, right? Where the patient is more dying of why it happened to me than about the fact that something happened to me.
0: Right? Mm, mm. <laughs> right. In an illness,
1: I think what kills people more is why me than the illness itself. Right. Correct. So even there, they they they, don't, they refrain from telling you why it happened. You know, they you know maybe uh, you know some. It's a set of some unfortunate events that has led to this. Which of those events we don't know that. Right. So it, it's it becomes, unfortunately, it becomes a philosophical question from a business question when you start opening the lid of causation. Why sales are high? Why are more com- more people leaving my uh, organization? It's a multifactor inter inter interaction, Related. Uh, interrelated uh, variables uh, with heavy interactions among themselves. And how would you pin down a cost? So that to me is a rabbit hole if not well exercised so the trade-off hence has to be well done right so you're getting a certain level of prediction and with that prediction you want to take an action and you understand to some level what the model is you're good to go in my opinion right if you get to that level of i am okay to compromise my accuracy but i want a linear model because i'm very despite uh, you know data showing non-linearity despite data showing interaction variables, despite data showing interrelated variables, right? So you are kind of uh, in despite that you're saying I'm OK with the lower accuracy. But I want the models that I can understand. I don't know what is the uh, you know sense in that uh, perspective from that perspective, right? You are still not explaining randomness fully. You're going with the model that is less explaining the variations than a model that is more explaining the variations just because you can understand model a better personally than model b that is a trade off that people need to exercise and look at why they need the model in the first place and then take the call so if i can reduce defaults by 2% for the company by going into a non linear model but to some level explainable but then I will, I'm making a choice, I'll go with a model that has, you know, ending up to be a 5% default rate. I'm losing more money. I'm kind of not bringing back the money back to the uh, pool of disbursement. So, but I'm still doing it because that's more linear. That's that's a question regulators need to ask, That a question, governance bodies and organizations need to ask. That a question, um, you know, head of businesses, head of data needs to ask, is that the right rate of to make?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, sometimes it could also be like wherever a data is impacting a end user or a consumer, for example, where there is a human feeling involved, maybe you need a lot more explainability, where eventually a decision which doesn't really straight away directly impact or is visible to the end user, uh, maybe a, a less explainable uh, but more accurate model could possibly work, right? Maybe that, that could be some trade-off there.
1: But this field also has grown, right? So the field of explainability also has grown. So you can now do role level explanations. right? why did your Why did we decline your credit card? Can be explained. now? Can that be explained to a level that? It's completely satisfying may not be right. Maybe somebody lost a job recently, and hence their credit score started falling, and because of which their uh, over limit came down and hence uh, they kind of drew more from another card. Let us say this is the whole actual happening. If at all somebody were to you might end up saying that, you know, you defaulted in two parts. That's all you will say. You cannot say uh, and and a loss of job can be shown as another factor, right? But one led to another and they are interdependent and stuff like that. It will not come in, come out there. They're also it's definitely advanced at this level, even for neural network models. the explainability part of it has evolved and should keep evolving as well. Because we need to have an understanding of governance of the model more than anything else because you don't want to have variables which are kind of latent variables to something else that you should not have been part of the model, things like that. But other than that, um, there are ways to say, there are ways to even provide a user experience with the right explainability in it, the trade off has to be very clear, right? If the trade off is about. I have a policy I'm adhering to that policy and that policy tells me that Uh, Only uh, variables which are kind of moving in monotonic directions with my uh, dependent variable can be approved. Those are the paradigms that model reviews, uh, reviewing councils, the MRMs in banks have to start questioning.
0: Got it. So one of your blogs I read about where you uh, spoke about uh, this thing uh, on um, you know, transfer learning you said there are models that you could try and bring it to organization but i thought your comfort was about trying to see if the organization can build its own model because you said entropy is the reality of business and if you have the models which are uh, you know developed in-house uh, not really dependent external models then your ability to uh, respond to the business and uh, you know create uh, value based on the change that the business is seeing uh can be far higher or can be far uh, agile for lack of a better word right uh, can you just expand on that a little more
1: so see uh, we started interestingly we started the discussion with this right we said it's about context it's about context fine tuning and optimization that's what i think um, data science is about now and the more you have a context about a local problem the better you would do Good in local, in in local, uh, uh, locally beating the baselines and everything. Uh, of course, you need to have you. It should make sense for you to apply a local model there. That's that's a part. So and then optimizing that looking. So when you do optimization, you're setting experiments. You're saying, okay, I did I set this experiment. I did I built a model A which was very specific to the local context. I might have taken some level of transfer learning, but then modified it to my uh, situation using fine tuning. And then I have done my uh, first set of model. Now I'm getting feedback and then how I am on go on the loop, optimizing it determines definitely better results than what I would have taken a, a global model. One example is so language models are very prevalent there. There are uh, you know the big uh, big companies, big tech companies kind of constantly releasing language models. We are of course um, uh, you know leveraging some of that, et cetera. But one gap it's coming out is for Indian languages, Indian dialects. Way um, a farmer in India speaks um, with you know where they could combine multiple languages. Uh, they their way of pronouncing certain words may not be well captured, even if the language model has supports certain Indian languages. Right. One reason is these data is not just available in the internet. Internet is absolutely flooded with. Um, English, which is spoken with a small set of people uh, across the globe, right? So the, those are where uh, fine tuning as well as applying for that context uh, will give a tremendous edge. I think that and then you are you're setting experiments and then you're seeing how your people react and then you're constantly optimizing it. I think that is also the big piece of the uh, puzzle. That will give you, that will make you, let's say, an out of the box is giving you 85% accuracy, but you want it to 95-97%, you want to get it. That edge is not going to come throwing just more data at it, but throwing more context at it, fine-tuning it, setting experiments and optimizing it.
0: Okay, got it. So I'm sure any data scientist this will have a you know treasure trove of learning from this conversation, uh, maatengi. Uh, but as a last question, if you had to give you know three advices to any aspiring data scientist or a young uh, data scientist who's just starting off her or his career, what would it be? Uh,
1: so one. Data is about two things, data and sciences, right? So you got to have your mathematical foundational knowledge deep, but you also need to understand data, and for that you need to understand business context, right? So understanding data, understanding context, being at the same time very deep in science, uh, the mathematics of it um, is is extremely important. And once they get into the grind of uh, a job, and then they start cracking problems. Watching out for impacts, watching out the fact that they can make a difference to their immediate world around them and hence to the world bigger around them, it becomes should become their driving factor, right? Uh, So one of the things that I kind of have realized uh, possibly later than earlier is that your choice is to choose the purpose. Once you choose the purpose, then the purpose kind of guides you in your life. So the bigger purpose you choose, the larger and magnanimous you will be as a person and the smaller purpose you choose will kind of take you there. So data can really, really make large impact. And those who are taking up this field, they choose the purpose of making impacts through their work in data. That's a large purpose to choose. And once they choose the purpose that that will become larger and that will become impactful, they can make really a difference to lives of uh, you know millions and billions of people so even as the data scientists find their rope and find their figure find their kind of fitting to this world of data what is also more important is kind of making their purpose meaningful making their purpose to make a difference not making their purpose about learning for algorithms and writing few research papers Those, those are all kind of consequences to it if the, and the goal and the purpose has to be to make a difference to people around.
0: You. Okay, very nicely articulated. Just one clarification I want. When you say purpose, uh, are you referring in a philosophical sense or purpose is like, you know, the level of impact you can create in an organization?
1: I, I am talking about purpose as purpose of work, right? Purpose of okay. professional life, right? So the sense of purpose that, um, your profession can provide is the purpose you choose right? because you're spending maximum hours of your day in that you are you are at it. You're passionate about it and you may be passionate about it for the right purpose. And hence you can make uh, make a difference because a lot of people come into the field, uh, uh, you know, for different reasons. They kind of come into the field for making more money or, you know, coming to the field of having a cool job uh, in, in in the 21st century. So those are not the purpose, right? Okay. Or working in a cool place, right? Or, you know, I have I want to come to this field because I can have work-life balance. Um, you know, those are not purpose. The purpose is what you can do to the world because you chose that field. And it's a great field to make that difference. So come in for that and be attached to that.
0: Okay. Very nicely articulated, Matangi. It's been a pleasure, I think, just about slightly over one hour. I could keep continuing the conversation and really enjoyed uh, listening to you and learning from you. Uh, thanks once again for making time and talking to us at Expert Touch at Maverice.
1: Thank, thanks, Mahath. It has been a really lovely conversation. I kind of thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, you Thank touched you. upon a lot of topics very, very close to my heart. And uh, some of my observations uh, over the years, something that I constantly Constantly, constantly reflect in my mind and have a very definite viewpoints on these. So uh, and these conversations kind of also help me to think better and some way make me also a better person. So thanks a lot for that.
0: Thank you. Thanks.
1: Thank you. Bye.